0: From the book of Hebrews, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning. We just came off our series on Colossians, and now we're diving into uh, the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be talking about this idea of faith. and and what the effect of faith is on the Christian walk. What does it mean to live a life of faith? And before we look at our text and see what uh, the book of Hebrews tells us, I want to ask you, what do you think that faith is? What do you think faith is? And how would you recognize it? If I were to say of you that that's a real man or woman of faith, what would I be saying about you exactly? What do you think that means? A lot of things kind of pop to my head when I first start thinking about this. Uh, Before I really look at the text, I think, well, this person must have a very healthy and robust prayer life. This person must speak about God's work all the time. You ever speak to those people that they can't get a sentence out without talking about Jesus, Uh, which I'm not knocking, by the way? Um, I would think, you know, this person uh, not only believed God exists, but they lived that belief. It wasn't a mere profession. They actually lived and acted in a way that trusted in the Lord. And so I want to look at three aspects of faith today from, our, from the book of Hebrews, from our text. Point one that we're going to look at is the offering of faith. What is the offering of faith? Point two is the object of faith. And then point three is the witness of the faithful. So, those kind of help keep you structured. The offering of faith, the object of faith, and the witness of the faithful. So, look at point one the offering of faith. What does it mean to offer our faith to God? And our text for today, the author of Hebrews, he takes us through some amazing stories of faithful men and women in the Old Testament. Maybe you recognize a few of those stories. Did you pick up on a few when Johnson was reading for us? Shut the mouths of lions. What's that's a reference to? Do you all remember? Daniel in the lion's den? Uh, there was uh, the Israelites escaping from Egypt. We all kind of know that story, right? Moses did what? He parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites walked through it. Another great story is um, these two different characters, two separate stories: uh, Barak and Gideon, who uh, they routed their enemies. And Gideon's case is an unbelievable story because he ends up taking 300 men to defeat an army of over 100,000. They estimate it was between 120 and 135,000 to be, you know, closer. Um, There's also the story in there that I personally love of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you have kids and they watch VeggieTales, we call them Rakshak and Benny. It's way easier. Uh, But their story, you know, they they refused to bow down to the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. They were brought to a fiery furnace, and they didn't burn up. And these are the stories of faith that we love. These are the stories of faith that I love. You know, at our home, we have this… this little action Bible is what it's called. It's basically like a, a comic book Bible that's pretty, pretty graphic. I think it was a little more graphic than I realized when we purchased it for our uh, now four- and five-year-old. Uh, but, you know, we're going through this, and, and whenever we tell these Old Testament stories of faith and these amazing things, the other night we read the story of Samson. He's carrying a city gate on his back, and my sons are like, whoa, that's amazing. These are the stories we love. These are the same stories that uh, my father used to tell us boys wedged next to him on the couch as we went through the Old Testament, stories of men and women of renowned significance who trusted in the Lord, and God was able to use their faithfulness to shape the course not only of their present time or Israel's history, but the history of the world. I mean, you realize when we talk about the Bible, this is the text of a very particular tribe in the Middle East of several thousand years ago, And yet over a third of the world takes these stories now as our own, holds them up as signs of faith. It's incredible to see the way that God has used the lives of the peoples in these stories. And you kind of wonder, like, how much faith does it take to lead a life like that, you know? When you're building your life, you're looking for what you're going to achieve or significance, like, how much faith do you think that it takes to be a a Samson or a David or a Daniel? You know, is it is it this just monumental thing that everybody would point to? Is it, is it like a George Mueller type of faith? You know, George Mueller's story, um, he, was, uh, he was the Christian who had a wayward youth uh, in the 19th century, and yet he trusted in God, and without asking a single person for money, without doing anything but pray to God that God would supply for him, was able to build five orphanages that had 10,027 kids go through them Raised up to seven, raised over seven million dollars an hour time, and had fantastic stories of faith. Like there's one story where one day, you know, he can't feed the orphans. The, the breakfast isn't there. They have no food. They have no money, and so he prays to God. And 30 minutes later, the baker comes by with loaves of bread for everybody. Because he's like, you know, I was just thinking about you this morning, and just wanted to give this offering to you. And he's like, praise the Lord, that's incredible. And he's like, but you know, we could really use some milk. And this is a true story, by the way. Look it up. Um, So he he prays, you know, for milk, and just so happens that um, as this guy's walking out, the milkman is walking in and said, you know, my cart broke down right outside your place, and if I don't do something with this, it's all going to go bad. Is there any way that you could use any of this milk? And he's like, you know, I think I could find a use for it. I mean, that's incredible, right? That's a story of faith. You know, I mean, does it it take a level of faith like that to do things for God's kingdom, to, to move the needle? to have a lasting, uh, lasting impact on this world. You know, because I look at these texts and I think, well, you know, I believe God exists and I try to live by His principles, but, you know, shaping world history, that seems a bit beyond my level of faith. Do I need to be one of these heroes? Well, no. No, you don't. You know, if you go back and you actually look at these stories in the Old Testament, what you'll find is that these same Israelites who were mentioned that went through the Red Sea, they were marked by timidity, complaining, a lack of trust in God. Really, their only claim to fame and faith is that finally when God said, move, they moved. Barak, who I mentioned, who was told to take command of Israel's armies, he was so scared that he went to the prophetess Deborah at the time, and he said, look, I'm not going to go if you don't come with me. And she said, you realize you won't get glory for that. He's like, I don't care. Hold my hand and take me through this. I'm scared. Is that an impressive degree of faith? Or Gideon? Gideon's one of my favorite stories. Gideon was found hiding from the Midianites in a wine press when they were raiding. That's where God found him, hiding. And yet God called him out. And he said, you know what? You're going to lead my army. And Gideon said, well, okay. But let me just put you to the test real quick. So he got some fleece, and he said, Lord, if you make this fleece wet and the ground dry, I'll follow you. God did. Is that enough faith for Gideon? No, it wasn't enough. Gideon wasn't faithful enough to follow then, so he said, all right, Lord, take the same fleece, and I want you now to make the fleece dry and the ground wet, and then I will follow you. And finally, when the Lord answered that, he was willing to follow him. Does that sound like a great man of faith to you? doesn't sound like one to me. And yet God, to prove that it was he who was leading, whittled down Gideon's army of, you know, 32,000, let's say, to 300 men. 300 men. Fascinating story. He wasn't an exemplar of faith, but when God told him to move, ultimately he moved. And there are dozens more stories like this in the Bible, men and women who are deemed faithful, not because they are full of faith, but because God is able to use what little faith they have, what little faith they offer to accomplish great things. Jesus picks up on this in Matthew 17. He said, You know, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains, for nothing will be impossible for you. And that's because living a life of greatness is not about how much faith you have, but about who your faith is in. Which brings us to our second point the object of faith. If we look back at our text, if you were paying close attention to the reading that we had, you might have noticed that I stopped halfway through the great stories of faith. Did anybody pick up on that? Halfway through verse 35, that was it, no more stories. Well, why is that? Because the first half of the stories were great stories, stories of slaying giants and closing the mouths of lions and doing all these wonderful heroic things, but those aren't the only results of a life that is faithful to God, are they? The author of Hebrews picks this up. There's an important hinge, in fact, in our text. It's in the middle of verse 35. The author just talks about, you know, widows received back, or, yeah, widows received back their dead. It's reference to Elijah and Elisha who raised the sons of the woman of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman. These are all, all going to be on your quiz later. Um, but he raised these people to life, and it was really wonderful and fantastic and a beautiful thing. And in the very same verse, the writer then says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. And this is a reference to a story in the Apocrypha in, in Second Maccabees, where I can't remember who was, it, but I think about it might have been Antiochus came in, and he, he conquered the, the Jews for a time, and he he marched them out into the arena, and he had them stand, and you know for their faith, and he's he's, he's trying to get them to recant, to to eat pork, and to go back on their beliefs, and and one of these stories. I think it's in chapter 6 and 7, this mother is brought out with her seven sons. And they are told, you know, give up your belief, put it away. And the first son, the eldest son, refuses. And as his brothers watch, they take his tongue, cut it off, cut off his hands, scalp him, leave him for dead. Bring up the next boy. Brothers watch. Will you recant? No. Same thing. Third brother. Fourth brother. Fifth brother. At this point, you're like, time out. And you imagine the mother, right? She's like, just lie. Cross your fingers. Tell him what he wants to hear. We'll fight him another day, right? Like, let's go home. Let's pack this up, and we'll fight another day. But that's not what she says. What she says is, do not be afraid of this executioner, But be worthy of your brothers and accept death, so that in the time of mercy I may receive you again with your brothers." How do you say that? Well, it's because this is a mother who, given her circumstances, she had only two options. Here were her options. She could despair, curse God, and die. That's an option. It's an option some people take. Or she could entrust herself and her sons to God through faith to a life that leads beyond this one. And her ability to choose the latter stems the fact that her faith was, catch this, in God and not her circumstances. Faith in God who, despite earthly circumstances, has the power of the resurrection and to make all things new. Because faith in anything or anyone else will leave you brokenhearted. If your faith is in the life that you're going to create for yourself, this dream of a life that you're trying to build, your designer life, you're going to be disappointed if you haven't been already. If your faith is in your spouse, he or she will let you down. It's a guarantee. If your faith is in your kids, you will crush them. They will have contempt for you and you for them, and they will let you down. There's only one, and if your faith is in yourself, well, good luck, right? Who's lied to you more than you've lied to yourself? Who's disappointed you more than you disappointed yourself and let you down? No one. This whole believe in yourself thing, it's an empty promise. The only way to have faith that isn't in vain is to have faith in the Lord. But you might wonder, and this is a question we all have, is God really worthy of our faith? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, practically lived it out, is God really worthy of our faith? Is he one that's worth sinking my entire life in to put all the chips in on God and hope that uh, something will come of it? Well, it's a good question. It's a fair question. It's one that you can ask. It's one that we all actually implicitly ask. You know, when I was um, training to be a priest, I was doing some youth training, and uh, the people who were giving me youth training, they said, you know, when you work with youth students… And sorry, adolescents, if you're in here. So if you work with you students, it's kind of like working with addicts. They don't want to change, not interested in change, not really interested in your opinion, and so you've got to kind of go gently in order to kind of bring them along to faith. So it seems like an unfair comparison, but okay. I don't have kids yet. We'll see. And he said, you know, when you work with adolescents, they're always asking you three questions, whether they know it or not. They, they're asking you, can I trust you? Do you really care about me? And can you help me? can I trust you? Do you really care about me, and can you help me? If you lose any one of those, you've lost the whole thing. And I thought about that, and I was like, you know, I think those are the exact same questions that we ask God, aren't they? God, if you want my faith, can I trust you? Do you really care about me, and can you actually help me, or is this all just, you know, fanny tale, fairy tale mumbo-jumbo, right? Like, is there real help that can be offered here? And if we want answers to those, it's important that we look at our texts and the lives of people around us. Can we trust God? Well, if you take your Bible and the promises that God made in the Old Testament and you look at what actually happened in history, you'll find that the answer is yes. Joshua 21, this is what was written, because Joshua had put God to the test in the Old Testament, and and Joshua wrote, after seeing God succeed, he wrote, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass. So can you trust God? Yeah. Well, does God really care about you? For God so loved the world, right, that He gave His only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in Him should not perish but have what? What? Everlasting life. He's got to really care about you. Can he really help you, though? I mean, that's a big question. Well, that depends. Help us do what? Build designer lives free of conflict and suffering and death? He can, but he won't. Instead, what he does is he invites us into a relationship with himself to unite us to himself to empower us by the Holy Spirit so that even our paltry offering of faith can accomplish great things to establish His kingdom on earth and change the lives of those around us. What God does is He invites us into a relationship where we are fully reliant on Him. I don't know if any of you are familiar with um, that, histor- that uh, crazy character Charles Blondin. Y'all familiar with Charles Blondin? Mid-19th, you might know him if I tell the story, mid-19th century. He was the one, he was the French acrobat that took a rope and put it across Niagara Falls. That's two inches thick, just ringing some bells, right? And he, and he decided that he was going to put on a show and walk back and forth. And he drew huge crowds, and that wasn't enough for him to just walk back and forth, so he did some ridiculous things. He ended up, um, one of these, uh, he took a table and a chair, and he put it in the middle of the rope on Niagara Falls and had breakfast. Another one, he got a, a wheelbarrow and wheeled it across, walked backwards across it. He looked this up. This is unreal. Um Uh, He took a camera. Remember those old tripod cameras like in the cartoons? I'm I'm young enough to say cartoons for it. And flipped it over your head. You had to look through to get a picture. He set one of those up and took a picture. I mean, this guy was unreal. And one day, um, a king, I can't remember what his name was, was coming to visit and watch, and he thought, you know, all of my spectacles, they're not enough. I need more. I really need to draw him in. So he looked at his manager. I think his name was Harry Colcord. And he said, Harry, I need you to get on my back. Harry's like... (laughs) Are you kidding me? What? He's like, that's not my job. I'm the, you know, I'm the, I'm the hype man. Like, you know, I, I take the money, I, I dish it out, but I'm not, no, no way, no way. He's like, here, you gotta get on my back. He's like, all right. So again, this is it's a true story. The manager gets on his back and they start walking across. Now, I don't know if you've tried to balance with somebody else. Anybody ever been like on a jet ski or CD with somebody or both leaning opposite directions or a bike or anything like that and you're kind of fighting against each other? Um, it is hard. Because as one of you moves, the other one tries to make the correction, but you're already making the correction, so you are over- You see what I'm saying? I mean, there's this, this whole fighting back and forth, and they start to sway like, like um, Charles Blondin has never swayed before. And finally, this is what Charles turned to me and says, he says, look up, Harry. He says, you are no longer Colcord, you are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. And so what he does, Harry does, is he just drops. He gives up trying to correct the course himself. He trusts the one, and he melds with the one who's going to bring them safely across. So when we talk about trusting in the Lord, when we talk about faith, when we talk about the fact that His call is not to this sort of life or that sort of life, but a life that is united with Him, walking step by step, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this is what we're talking about. This is the level of relationship that God is calling us to as we walk forward in faith. Which brings us to our final point, the witness of the faithful. Our text in Hebrews makes clear that lives of two different people, both living faithfully, can look very different. So how can we trust God? How can we melt on Him? How can we be a cold cord on a blondin and, and have faith in Him moving forward, not knowing which of these paths lies ahead for us? Well, the author of Hebrews gives it to us. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who ran the race before us, and Jesus who saw what lo- what." lied ahead, what lay ahead, and said it was worth it. In, our, um, in one of our first years of marriage, uh, my wife and I went to Kauai with family. Um, we, uh, we all chipped in and helped treat her mother to a, to a vacation at Kauai. Has anybody been there? Um, beautiful. And you know how when you go on a vacation with family, you each kind of have your bucket list of things that you want to do, right? I want to see this museum. I want to go to this restaurant. I want to go to this place. Well, her brother-in-law really wanted to go on a really difficult hike, and uh, of course, Nathan, I'm just going to throw him out there. That's his name, Nathan. I still blame you. I don't resent you that much, but a little bit. Um, what Nathan did is he picked a trail that was not on any regular map, because that's just who he was. It's called the Ka'apoko Trail. And we should have known it's not on a map. Maybe you don't do this. But we decided to go. I didn't have hiking clothes on, I'm wearing church clothes in the picture. Um, we start driving towards this path. Part of the road is submerged underwater and there's a tree over it. Should have been a first sign, right? Don't go. But we took our little rented Jeep and we made our way around it. Finally, we show up at the place. It is a mud pit. I mean, half the size of this room. It's a field of mud. You can hardly see an entrance. Should have been another sign. Maybe don't go, right? But we had seen pictures of this beautiful waterfall that was in a grotto and this mile-long aqueduct that was six feet high that was perfectly straight carved into a mountain to get there, and it was a view that you could not get going any other way. And there were people who had gone before us that said, this is worth doing. And so we went. The first half of it, we're up to our mud. Have you ever trudged in mud for hours? It's not fun razor grass we ended up having to crawl on our stomachs under these briars that were um, they were so it was like they were um grown over like this like little rabbit dens and they were so low to the ground that we tried to crawl on our stomachs with a backpack and the backpack kept catching so we had to throw it in front of us as we went you can ask amy a coffee hour. she's got a lot better stories about this than i do she um the only markers for our trail by the way there was no trail it was you'd find these you know on survey six those little bits of ribbon uh, the pink, like little pink bits of plastic. Those, we saw those every half hour or so, and we had a GPS kind of path that went out off and on whenever we had service. We ended up going on these cliffs where we were grasping onto roots so not to fall off, and my wife at one time did fall, and praise God, I was able to grab her and pull her back onto the path, or else I would be single right now. And I, I promise you I don't hold over her head the fact that I saved her life. Um, but it was an unbelievably difficult, it was an unbelievably difficult and arduous journey But when Nathan and I finally reached the end of the tunnel, we we finally reached the tunnel and we looked inside, we celebrated because it was worth it. And much the same way, the life that God has called us to live by faith is one where we've had someone who's been there before, who has walked the very path that we are called to walk, who despised the shame of the cross for the joy that lay ahead, And not only that, but who has promised to walk with us along the way, to carry us for that journey. And so by faith, by faith, the director of an inner city youth outreach program can minister to at-risk teens. By faith, a missionary couple can pack up their whole family and move to Rwanda for years. By faith, a businessman living with integrity and openness about his faith can bear whatever scorn comes his way. By faith, a money manager can give three-quarters of their income to God's work and live on a fixed standard of living. By faith, parents can lay aside their own claims on life and make sacrifices of their time to ensure that their children are raised in the church. By faith, whatever little faith has been apportioned to us, Are we able to lay down our efforts to create these little designer lives for ourselves and open ourselves to whatever God has in store for us, knowing that He will be beside us come what may? In a few minutes, we're about to welcome new believers into the household of God through baptism. And that's what this call is. Baptism symbolizes our death and resurrection. It symbolizes us passing from one life to the next, a commitment to a life of faithfulness to the one who is faithful to us. And so, as you and I celebrate this baptism and renew our own baptismal covenants, let us offer again what paltry faith we have to the God who can do more than we dare ask or imagine. I'll just pray. Heavenly Father, You are always at work in this world, accomplishing things for Your glory and for our good, and You have invited us into Your great work, knowing our Uh, Failures, knowing our frailties and our infirmities. God, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, inspire us to walk forward in faith, whatever faith we have to offer you. God, and that you would take that and multiply it, manifold. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.